The brain is very biased toward thinking it's smarter, better, faster than everyone else, including mm -hmm. who we were five minutes ago. And mm -hmm. people will very much rebel against being told that they are bad or wrong or were dumb in the past. Mm -hmm. This is also, I do a lot of work with financial institutions and there's a term that is often used about financial literacy, which mm. I hate as a <laughs> an approach yeah. because mm -hmm. no one wants to be told that they're illiterate or to mm -hmm. uh, say, oh, are you financially literate? Who's going to say no to that? Right, right, and right. so finding a different term, reframing that can have yeah. a huge impact on the way that people react just from that one single word. Welcome to Audible Insights, brought to you by the Insights Association and hosted by David Paul, founder of Dialsmith and Lillian Labs. Hey everyone, this is David Paul, and on this episode of Audible Insights, I'm talking with Melina Palmer. Melina is the founder and CEO of The Brainy Business, which provides behavioral economics consulting to businesses of all sizes around the world. Melina also teaches applied behavioral economics through the Texas A&M Human Behavior Lab, and her first book, What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You, is scheduled for publication in May. Melina's popular podcast, The Brainy Business, Understanding the Psychology of Why People Buy, has downloads in over 160 countries and is used as a resource for teaching applied behavioral economics for many universities and businesses. In this conversation, Melina and I discuss the fundamentals of behavioral economics and how it can be applied in both your professional and personal life. You'll hear practical, real-world examples that you can begin using right away. Check it out. Hey, Melina, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to talking to you. Um, I'm a fellow behavioral economics nerd, if you don't mind me putting you in that category. Uh, I, I think you, you've got chops beyond mine, but I've always found the topic just incredibly fascinating, having been, having been in sales and marketing my whole career. And it's always about how people make decisions and process information. So uh, looking forward to talking to you and hearing your perspective on all yeah. of that. Yeah, absolutely. So for folks who don't know you, can you just give us kind of the brief recap of your background and, and what got you to where you are today? And then we'll, we'll start to dig into your work and some of your areas of expertise. For sure. So I too have a background in marketing and brand strategy. I got my undergrad in marketing and I remember at that time, there was just like this little blip, in, like one section of one book in one class that had just the tiniest little tidbit about buyer psychology and mm -hmm. why people do the things they do. And I was amazed. It was it just totally opened my eyes. And I knew at that moment I had said, you know, someday when I go back to school, I'm going to get a master's in this. Like, I don't want an MBA. I'm going to go get this. Wow. And I spent the better part of 10 years calling schools around the country and asking about these programs that they might have in what I think I was call calling buyer psychology. And everybody said, that's not a thing that doesn't exist. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you can create a program if you want, uh, which I said, well, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I went into work. I worked at an advertising agency and then ended up, I was running a marketing department for a financial institution in the greater Seattle area and was part of an innovation program. 
and we were speaking at the World Credit Union Conference and they brought in a team from the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University. They were talking about some of the research that they were doing in behavioral economics. And I knew like, this is it, this is what I've been looking for. And so talked with them a little bit and just immediately found myself a program and got my master's in behavioral economics. And in that process, I was still fairly early, especially in the area of applied behavioral economics and behavioral science. Mm -hmm. And all the things that were so obvious to me, as you were saying about how it applies to marketing, advertising, consumer psychology, pricing, uh, just totally clear, wasn't anywhere. You didn't see books about it. There, there wasn't information out in the world. And so I said, I guess I'll do that <laughs> and uh, started my podcast and here we are. Well, that that's an interesting background. You opened up a number of things. Uh, I want to ask you about yeah. when you were, when you, um, when you worked with Duke, did you cross paths with Dan Ariely at all? I ended up connecting with Dan later on. Uh, so I didn't get my master's from Duke. I got my master's through the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Mm -hmm. But when I was working on my master's thesis uh, research project, I actually reached out to Dan because I was doing an extension of some work that he had done. If anyone's familiar with, he's got a gold coin experiment that was done um, in Kenya, trying to get people to save more. And they found, you know, if you scratch the edge of the coin, it performed better than all these other nudges they tried to put together. Mm -hmm. And as with every research paper, they have sort of like suggestions if you were going to do more research or for future researchers. And so I, you know, on a whim sent the message and said, Hey, like, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Do you have any recommendations? And he was very kind and gave me, you know, half hour or so of his time to talk to yeah. a lowly grad student <laughs> yeah. about that then, um, and gave some insights. And since then, he's also been a guest on my podcast. So yeah. just really yeah. nice guy. Yeah, I've heard that about him, that he's very approachable and generous with his time. I imagine because he's really a professor first. So right. he's about being helpful and he loves students and loves learning. So that's yeah. terrific. So for those who don't know that experiment, um, tell us about the gold coin experiment. That sounds really curious. Right. So it was looking at getting people to save more, like I said, and done in Africa. And they were looking at all these different nudges to help people to save, which included... Um, you would get a text as if it was from one of your children or something that said like, thanks so much for caring enough about my future to save mom, you know? And mm -hmm, they also mm -hmm. had uh, these other behavioral nudges within and they tested, I think 12 different things, including matching funds. So if you save, you know, 10, uh, whatever currency will give you more. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. they threw in this extra thing of a gold coin that had numbers around the edge um, and it was for 24 weeks. And so for each week that you save, you just scratch the edge of the coin, oh, mm -hmm. uh, to show that you did it, it gets a little gamification in there and things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And what they found is the gold coin outperformed every intervention they did, including, and it did better on its own than even when it had matching funds associated with it, yeah. which is really fascinating. And so what I ended up doing for my research experiment was with a financial institution um, in Oregon, and we sent out refrigerator magnets 
that had this scratch if you saved kind of gold stuff around the edge that you could say, yes, I, you know, I saved this week. It's like, yay you, but you also, Mm -hmm. you know, you write your goal on it, but it's priming you when you're walking through the kitchen and you think, oh yeah, I want to save money. Oh yeah. I have this goal. It's constantly reminding you of that intention. And so we found with that, those who had the magnet saved more and they had better reviews we, they, that financial institution used NPS scores uh, and they mm-hmm. went up more than the control group and a group that just got a letter about the importance of saving. Uh, so you you kind of mentioned two keywords in the, in the last minute or two. You mentioned nudges and you mentioned priming, both of which are fundamental to behavioral psychology, behavioral economics. For those who are less familiar, Tell us about kind of those two concepts and principles, nudges and priming. Absolutely. So we'll start with the priming, I guess, in that um, things that are we see <laughs> or hear or smells and uh, sounds, all that really impact the behavior that people have. And just for the little sidestep for anyone who's not as familiar with how the brain works, I'm going to give that primer here uh, really quickly. And so our brain works in two systems, which I always just talk about it in terms of conscious and subconscious in actual behavioral science world, they would say system one and system two. uh, But I find this to be easier for most people. So anytime when you can think about what your brain is doing, if you're thinking about thinking, if you were to say, what does my brain do? anything that can come to mind for you, that's what your conscious brain is, is doing. And if you think about that, uh, we would like to say, or believe that the majority of what we do is in this conscious level. And you know, you have a subconscious, but don't really want to think about it. (laughs) And what uh, studies find is about 99% of what we're doing all day long is actually on that subconscious level. Mm -hmm. And so that's for people that are buying your consumers, your customers, your peers, you're talking with and yourself. It's really all on that subconscious level using rules of thumb to make the best possible decision. And so it's kind of like a gatekeeper or a receptionist where your subconscious brain is scanning the world around you for things that it knows are normal. Like I have a rule for that. I know how to do this, can do that, can do that. And then when there's something weird, it'll let your conscious brain kind of like step up and do something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that is very important to say, because the subconscious is making these decisions based on those rules of thumb, the way that things impact the subconscious can impact a choice that it is going to make. And a great study that was done on this is looking at, uh, they had people in a room that they were working together on a cooperative task. In half of the cases, there was a briefcase in sight And in the other half, there was a backpack that was in sight Mm -hmm. and nobody noticed it as is the way that these typically work, you know, on a conscious level, it didn't even trigger anything, Mm -hmm. but those in the briefcase room were much more likely to be combative, um, and to be retaining and kind of aggressive with the team members. Mm -hmm. Whereas those in the backpack room were more likely to be cooperative and work better together. Mm -hmm. And you just think about the associations our brain ha- brains have with those sorts of concepts, people yeah. who held an iced coffee versus a hot coffee rated people that they talked to or learned about mm-hmm. later as being more cold and difficult 
just really weird literal associations that we don't think should happen. And so that is priming uh, Mm -hmm. in, in context. And so if you think about the word choice you have, if you were doing a survey, let's say, or the way you phrase a question, if you put out an image in an ad that has that iced uh, coffee in it, just someone Mm -hmm. happens to be holding a cold drink, but you're not thinking about what it's doing to prime that experience someone is having, it can really have a big impact um, without you realizing it and can shift everything. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's priming. (laughs) That's essentially Mm -hmm. how that works. The other one you were asking about is nudges. And Mm -hmm. this is based on some really foundational research in the field of behavioral science and behavioral economics, which was done by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein and looking at how you encourage someone to make a choice. And so they won a Nobel prize back in 2017. And really it's looking at how choice is actually relative and context impacts what people are going to choose. The clearest example that I know always resonates for this would be, you know, if you were going to set your kids loose in a cafeteria and they have unlimited funds and they can get whatever they want and their parents and nobody else will ever know, we Mm. would probably think, you know, it's all pizza and French fries and ice cream and no nutritional value at all. Right. But what actually happened when they did this as a test in school cafeterias, whatever you put toward the front of the line. So if you were to take the desserts and move them to the front, they were 25% more likely to be chosen. If you put the desserts at the back of the line or in a separate line, they're 25% less likely to be chosen. And whatever is at eye level, whether it's French fries or uh, carrot sticks is more likely to be chosen. So what Mm -hmm. we see and how it's presented makes a difference in what we choose. And, you know, the kids were all happy with what they got. They felt like they were, they had these unlimited options, um, but they were nudged by the location of the items in the line and could make a difference in what they would choose and bringing that back to the priming piece, you know, so you want it out of sight of the French fries, but you also need them out of smell because we've all kind of walked Mm. through. (laughs) And so if you're being primed by the smell of French fries or popcorn, it's going to draw you in your subconscious is ready for Mm. those before you even see them in the line. Yeah, absolutely. French fries. I think French fries are my number one top number one vice. What's your, what's your, what's your top number one vice? If you get that smell trigger, you're sunk. Oh, you know, I think for me, it's that kind of like those salty and like potatoes too is, is Mm -hmm. really high up for me. So I think, uh, yeah, French fries Mm -hmm. or popcorn is probably, yeah, I'm always more savory than sweet, but man, I am just, I am powerless when it comes to (laughs) (laughs) Those fresh, those fresh salty items. What's interesting about what you just said too, is, you know, everybody knows that of course, like in a grocery store, the eye level items do better than higher or lower, but what you're talking about that takes it to the next level is it's not just about like whether one cereal is higher or lower, but they're all kind of the same cereal you're talking about dessert versus carrots with regards to kids. And it's not just that they'll pick one dessert over the other. It's that they'll be just as happy with carrots if they're nudged in that way by making that what's what's most available to them. Right. Well, and if you think about for anyone who ever has had a picky eater in the world, you mm-hmm. know, so where you make it so the um, 
their meal looks like a face or something fun, they're yeah. more likely to want to eat it. That's a mm -hmm. framing aspect. And the way that you present it makes it look more appealing right. and exciting. Uh, to step into another side of this, my uh, four-year-old, she hates the idea of having her hair put up. And when, if you even mm. start to ask, she's like, no, I don't want that. Like, do you want your hair up? No. And then I say, do you want an Elsa braid as the next statement? She says, oh yeah. Right. Like don't want my <laughs> hair up, but I totally want an Elsa braid. Let's do it. Right. So right. she, <laughs> that yeah. right frame makes a big difference. And if I can point out on the cereal aisle, as you were saying, mm -hmm. and I talk about this in my book is that the placement matters, but retailers can actually, they'll often pay more for lower shelf placement for those sugary cereals that are targeted toward children. And if you look, <laughs> the way that the characters, their eyes are looking is very specific. So on a cereal that has some sort of a um, somebody on the box, like the Wheaties box, right? Mm -hmm. You would want, and more likely you have that character, that person is looking straight on because it's targeted at the adults and it's going to be higher up. The cartoon mascots are often looking down because they're trying to make eye contact with the children. And when you have that connection, the personal association with the brand, mm -hmm. it increases the trust factor and the likelihood that people are going yeah. to buy. And everything that we're talking about here, of course, it's first and foremost in the context of business. That's the audience that you generally speak to and that's listening. But I know in my own life and, and in talking with people like you, there are so many non-business applications to all of this, all the way down to people's personal lives and how they interact with their kids and how they interact with spouses and significant others and parents so when you become a practitioner of this, even a casual one, mm -hmm. where you understand the fundamentals of priming and nudging and framing, um, not even the more complicated concepts, but the real fundamental, more basic ones, it can really permeate all areas of your life. It's not just for business, right? Absolutely. And I always like to give those personal examples where when I'm explaining concepts in a presentation or on my podcast to be able to know that you say, oh yeah, I do that, right? You can identify what it is or a conversation you've had with, if you have a difficult, like you don't get along with your mother-in-law or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. you're able to look back and say, well, why did that happen? And what could have been done differently? And I give examples with kids all the time. Like in that case, if I really care that my daughter has her hair back, for whatever reason, I want her to look put together when she goes to school and she's four and she doesn't care. Mm -hmm. making sure that I ask about an Elsa braid is a way to make that easier. If I care about the, the kids eating their vegetables, you know, making it so it looks like a face uh, or some, a dinosaur or mm -hmm. whatever can be more fun or like, here comes the airplane, right? Those are all mm -hmm. examples of how you can just understand what's going to be appealing. And this, I think you can get into, this is where people might start to ask these questions of, is it manipulative? That's something, especially when you get into business, mm -hmm. something that comes up a lot. And mm -hmm. what I think is really important to note is when we look at nudging, which we've already talked about and is very foundational in the space of behavioral economics, it is the a great quote from Thaler and Sunstein is saying, so choosing where you place, you know, putting carrots at eye level is a nudge, banning junk food is not. Like you, when you make it that people don't have a choice and mm. they aren't able to get something that they would want otherwise, that is no longer a nudge. 
yeah, and that makes good. a difference. Yeah. And the other piece of nudging that's very important is what's called choice architecture. And so it's also very, very important to note, even if you don't think about it in advance, the way you are presenting information to people, you are always a choice architect, whether you think about it or not. And so mm -hmm. potentially you are just inadvertently nudging people toward a choice that's not good for you, your business, or for them in the long run, because you didn't mm -hmm. think about it. Whereas if you take the time to know that, you know, this option for investing in retirement is going to be the best choice. And so I'm going to make it look, I'm going to show that it can be the best choice for people. Right. And you have some intention, it can really help everyone. And that's mm -hmm. the way that I, I like to approach it with that air of like, let's all do good in the way yeah, that we positive present. intent. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. do, do no evil. Yeah. One of my recent guests of Baron has a very simple line. I don't think it's his original quote, but it always resonates with me where he always says, don't make people wrong. Mm. Right. Nobody wants to be wrong. So when you're creating these, these nudges, it's about, it's not about making them wrong and trying to get them to do the right thing because nobody wants to be right. wrong. And I think that's a pitfall you, that uh, you also have to be really careful of. Right. Absolutely. The brain is very biased toward thinking it's smarter, better, faster than everyone else, including mm -hmm. who we were five minutes ago. And mm -hmm. people will very much rebel against being told that they are bad or wrong or were dumb in the past. Mm -hmm. This is also, I do a lot of work with financial institutions and there's a term that is often used about financial literacy, which mm. I hate as a, <laughs> an approach yeah. because mm -hmm. no one wants to be told that they're illiterate or to mm -hmm. uh, say, Oh, are you financially literate? Who's going to say no to that. Right, right, right. And so finding a different term, reframing that can have yeah. a huge impact on the way that people react just from that one single word. I think everything that we've talked about too, framing is not only, in my opinion, the most common, but ultimately, I, I think it may be the most powerful. I, I redid um, a known experiment where people were offered uh, different food items and half of the sample were, uh, were told the, uh, the calories in those food items and the other half of the sample were told the amount of exercise they'd have to do to work it off. And it was in the context of, if you were looking to make a healthy food choice, how likely would you be to choose this food? Right. And of course, the, the difference was night and day between mm -hmm. when you showed someone the calories in you know, uh, a serving of Ben and Jerry's frozen yogurt, which is whatever, you know, 200 or so calories, give or take. Um, and then they realize that they have to, you know, jog for two hours to work that off. <laughs> yeah. And suddenly they're, you know, they're not interested at all. The most fun one is actually um, uh, one M&M has three calories. So that mm. one was, you know, it's silly. You'd never eat one, but it was a no brainer. Everyone would eat one. And then we told people that they'd have to walk the length of a football field a hundred yards to work off one M&M. <laughs> Very oh. few people were interested in that one M&M. So yeah. <laughs> I, I think it really just shows of, of everything, even for the, just the common person using it day to day, the power of thinking about how things are framed is really, if you're going to pick up nothing else, I, that's, that's probably a really important thing to pick up. Right. Yes, I would agree. It's actually, so in my book, I have the, con I introduce a bunch of concepts and framing is the very first one because mm -hmm. I think yeah, it's so yeah. foundational. And it's also one of the ones that when I'm 
talking with people about how to go about applying this. If you want to just start testing, framing is the easiest place to start because Mm -hmm. it's so simple to shift. Like you said, the way you talk about three calories or, uh, one of the examples I always give is looking at, you know, you have ground beef and you're going to buy some and one stack is labeled as 90% fat free and the other is 10% fat, which one sounds better. And almost everybody always says 90% fat free is what they want. It's exactly the same, but you have a hard time in the way that you hear it. And so to not just take data and numbers and, and whatever it is in the exact way it's given to you and to actually think, well, what if I said this differently? And where this says, you know, three out of four dentists agree, but like, what does that mean about the other one? You know, how, mm-hmm. how do we do something here? And so, you know, I'll help clients. If you say like 78% of people would buy from us again, like that doesn't sound great. 78% not right. awesome, but mm-hmm. it's basically the same as four out of five, which sounds really good. So the way exactly. you say it <laughs> makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whether you're putting things in ratios or whether you're doing percentages, um, whether you're going out to decimal points, like all of those. And then it comes down to testing, right? I mean, most of the listeners of this podcast are in research and researchers are often the worst at taking their own medicine and right. doing their own testing. But all of these things are theoretical and you never know which version is really going to work best in any one context. And it really then comes down to testing that hypothesis, seeing how it works and then refining it from there. Right. Exactly. And the context is really the most important thing. And really the thing that most businesses and people get wrong is the very, very, very first step, which is, Mm -hmm understanding what you want someone to do, what's the outcome you're looking for. And then you create your experiment around that particular behavior and where it's like, Oh, we just want like, how do we get more customers? And it's like, depends. Like, what are you wanting them to buy? Who are they? Where are they coming from? Which again, like you said, and people who work in research understand that, Mm -hmm. especially when you're working with your own clients, but Mm -hmm. taking those moments and knowing that you know, for any of the researchers here that are actually pitching to do projects, you know, the way that you present information, how you talk about the work that you do and the results that you get and the benefit to the client of working with you, you can be absolutely implementing all of these tactics and how you anchor on certain numbers when you present information where you present the high package first, instead of Mm -hmm. working your way up in prices makes a huge difference in the Mm -hmm. options of what people end up selecting. Uh, There are so many tactics that you can Mm -hmm. be using throughout your own work. And it's amazing the differences that you see when you put a little thought into it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you mentioned anchoring, which is, which is yet another one. Um, so in May uh, of this year, you have a book coming out, um, yeah. what your customer wants and can't tell you. Yes. Um, is that your first book? It is. Yay. Congratulations. Very, <laughs> very excited for you. Thank I'm you. sure everything we've talked about so far in one way or another will be covered in there, but tell us kind of what's the, what's the overall framework of the book and, and you know, who's it for and what are people going to get out of it so they can hopefully pick it up in May. Absolutely. Thank you. And it is on pre-sale now, so you can pre-order it and be ready to go, but go do it. It, pre-orders it really... are super important for authors, by the way. So if yeah. you think you're interested, 
definitely jump on a pre-order and, uh, and do her a solid. Go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so really it goes back to, you know, from the beginning when we were talking about when I first started my master's program and saw that there wasn't much of anything about this applied space and where I've really um, dedicated my career to is being able to really use behavioral economics and behavioral science for people and not have to go get a PhD and become an academic researcher. There are people in corporate jobs, whatever they happen to be, that love the work that they do and they're great at it. And they just want to up level and understand the psychology to make little tweaks that are going to make a really big difference for Mm -hmm. them and be able to responsibly apply something like this. And so a lot of the the books, the research, the TED Talks, everything that's out right now, and even you know, classes you can go take are all very much in this, hey, we found this, isn't that cool? And we found this, isn't that cool? Like, isn't this mm-hmm. amazing? But no, here's how you would use that yourself. Right. And so that's what my podcast does. And then translating that into the book, it you know starts by talking about how the brain works. It's separated into four parts. So how the brain works, some things that you want to know as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Part two introduces 16 concepts that I think are some of the most important ones for businesses in general mm-hmm. to be able to use. And each one has its own chapter and say, so in the chapter about framing, you learn about it, how it works, some great examples, and then an apply it section. So you can look at using it. And mm-hmm. then it will say, when you get to part three, like you're going to see this again, framing comes up in chapter, you know, 22, 23, 25, whatever. So then Mm. when you read in the, how to start combining these concepts together and actually using them in part three and doing your own experiments, Mm -hmm. you'll read a story about something that, you know, some practitioners have done or examples of people using behavioral economics in their businesses. And then it'll say concepts you saw here include framing, priming, anchoring, and these are their chapters. So it's kind of like a reference book and very much intended that you can really use it. And it's also going to be having an extra PDF workbook with more ways to apply it that couldn't fit in there that will be available Mm. for free on my website. Clearly you've put a, a lot of thought into the design of it. So many, most books really you know, you read them from start to finish and then they do sit on a shelf because there's really no practical way to go back and use it. And the fact that you're not only referring forward as people are reading, but then you're summarizing and taking them back when you go through examples, it sounds like the kind of thing that can just live and breathe on their desk. And when you're really trying to solve a sticky problem, it's one of those books you can pull out and help you through it. Absolutely. And, you know, just being able to say, oh, what was, what was anchoring again? Or what's relativity? What was that thing about pain of paying, right? Then you can just Mm -hmm. go really quickly Mm -hmm. to the chapter and the chapters are intentionally short, you know, they're five to 10 pages per each of those to give you what you need. But then it says, Mm -hmm. Hey, I've got two episodes on anchoring or whatever on the podcast, go check these out if you want to learn more. And there's tons of citations too. So I think, so it's a 300 page book with a little over 200 citations there, but it's very conversational and approachable. We're not like 
talking p values and statistical right, significance right. and things like that. Yeah, well and as you know, once you prime people that picking up your book is only going to be uh you know a 5 to 10 page chapter investment if they just have a few minutes is a lot different than if they know every time they pick it up they're going to have to slog through 30 pages. So that's also just a smart way for people to become comfortable with it and realize oh I have I have 10 minutes let's jump into something. Right. And then you can just go think about, like I say, for framing, then, you know, you read that chapter today, maybe, and then you just walk around and see how things are framed and ask yourself good questions about it. And then tomorrow you can read another chapter or whatever that is. The last part of the book is called Don't Get Stuck. And so then it's talking mm -hmm. about all those biases and rules in our brain that mm -hmm. you know, we've all been to the conference or read the book or heard the podcast, whatever. And you think, oh, that's amazing. When I get to work on Monday, I am implementing that. Yeah. And then Monday comes and you're in a completely different state of mind. This is a concept called time discounting mm. and to where you feel like a totally different person. And so to avoid that, you know, I have tips about some of the most common things that are going to keep you stuck. So you can actually mm -hmm. go apply and use the stuff that you read in the book. Yeah, that's cool. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'll I'll be one of your uh, pre-orders for sure. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so where do you live? Where do you live now? I'm in Washington State still. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, which may be confusing for those who know I teach at Texas A&M University, but yeah, <laughs> it's all uh, it's all a virtual uh, program because we want behavioral economics, applied behavioral economics, to yeah. be accessible to everyone. So it was a virtual program even pre-COVID. Yes. We, it actually launched in COVID times, uh, but yes, it was always intended, intended to be a virtual be, yeah. program. Yes. Yeah. Where are you in Washington? I'm in the Olympia area. So about halfway between Seattle and Portland. Yeah. So I'm in Portland. I don't know if you oh, know. Hey, we had, we nice. hadn't really talked, but you mentioned <laughs> Seattle earlier. So I wanted to circle back to that. Nice. Um, yeah. So North, a couple Northwesterners here. Yeah. Um, another thing I'm really curious about with regards to you is your really just the way you've put your whole brand together. You are bold and colorful and fun and energetic. And those are not adjectives that are often tied to behavioral science, behavioral economics, social psychology. Yeah. Part of it is I'm sure your natural personality coming out, but how much have you deliberately crafted your brand to maybe be the antithesis of what the common stigma might be in the field that you work? Well, I appreciate you noting it and uh, being able to tell that there's some authenticity to it versus kind of <laughs> forcing yeah. myself into no, that totally. space. It feels very authentic. Yeah. So um, th there were some very uh, intentional things. So like my brand colors for the brainy business is purple and I have a purple brain I can see him. He's a mm -hmm. character for me. You know, he's mm -hmm. got his glasses on over here in my <laughs> office. Um, but very much when I was picking out the, uh, my logo and the show art for the podcast. Um, so it's this very cartoon looking rocket and then the, um, like smoke underneath it is shaped like a brain. Mm -hmm. And it's got this, uh, kind of squishy font for the brainy business where it looks like yeah. folds in the brain, things like that. Mm -hmm. So I wanted it to be because most people that I'm looking to be targeting, that it's not 
academia that I know I want people to know it doesn't look or sound boring and like a lecture that you don't want to listen to if you're looking for mm-hmm. a podcast, mm-hmm. um, that if you search behavioral economics and then you see this fun looking logo, you think that sounds interesting, right? I'm going to yeah. go check that out. Mm-hmm. And if the things that it's next to are very rigid and and stodgy, that it, it helps to stand out. And again, that's priming people for mm-hmm. what to mm-hmm. expect when they click on it. And that first click of saying, I'm going to try this one is the most important thing because I know where the show, it's very much like you hearing me talking now, like this is it, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is what you get from the show. Um, mm-hmm. And people like clients, when I work with them, I mean, it's very much conversational space. Yeah. And yeah. so then you start to listen and see that there's fun stories and um, you can laugh along with whatever's happening, you know, then you're going to want to stay. So there is a lot of thoughtfulness that goes into it. And I actually end every episode and my email signature is to be thoughtful, which Mm -hmm. is also very intentional, but um, you know, putting in that extra little bit of time to think about something can make a really big impact for businesses and brands and just for everything that we do. Yeah. Well, and it's a pattern interrupt too. I I noticed that signature on your email and it made me stop for a minute. Now, you know, I looked at analytically, I found it curious, which for me is just where my brain goes. But I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I know that's deliberate. And then I started thinking, what impact is that going to have on other people? when they see it, but it's also anything that can interrupt that pattern of what people are doing kind of on autopilot all day long. Right. Right. Well, and that's looking at the getting back to how the subconscious and conscious works and getting through that gatekeeper of everybody says, thank you, or sincerely or whatnot, you know, and Mm -hmm, so mine would mm -hmm. be thoughtful and you, you potentially noticed that it's capital B E and then all lowercase for thoughtful. And Mm -hmm. so the B E is behavioral economics. It's a little Mm -hmm. hint at what's Mm -hmm. there. And then the thoughtfulness and same, like with the logo, it's not very obvious that the smoke on the rocket is a brain at first, you know, it's like these little Easter egg moments where you can then see and have that thought essentially of like, wow, if she, put this much thought into that, mm-hmm. there must be more here. And people are kind of looking for that just as you go. And I'm all about creating curiosity and asking good questions and not just accepting what's there. And mm-hmm. so it all really hints back at that, which is a big theme of the brand and the mm-hmm. show and the work that I do. Yeah. And it's like the arrow in the FedEx logo. Once you see yeah. it, you'll never unsee it. Right. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Great. So the podcast is um, the Brainy Business Podcast, right? Correct. Yes. So for those who want to listen to that, uh, like you said, it's really an extension of the kinds of things we're talking about today and the kinds of things that'll be in your book. But um, you have, you know, fascinating guests where you get to go in in all kinds of directions. So uh, I certainly recommend that people seek out the Brainy Business Podcast. Um, and what's your website for people who want to check out and learn more about you? So the website is thebrainybusiness.com and the podcast is there. You can also find it on all the, um, wherever you listen to podcasts and, uh, the book is there on the website and everything. And it's a mix of, uh, for the podcast, like you said, there's interviews, uh, but also a lot of those solo episodes. It was just me talking for the first mm-hmm. 80 episodes of the show and explaining mm-hmm. concepts and things. So, 
um, yeah. And then you can find me on all the socials as the brainy biz B I Z. One thing I am curious about then, since you did so many podcast episodes where it was just you talking, and then of course you do a lot of interviews and now I'm sure you do a little bit of both. What do you find kind of performance wise? What do you find that your audience is most interested in? Do they gravitate toward kind of the subject matter expertise, you talking on something, or do they gravitate more toward interviews or does it really just kind of depend? It, it, it can depend. There are some interviews that do really well. Dan Ariely's, you know, was one that had mm-hmm. some, you know, capturing uh, attention on there. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, Stephen M. R. Covey is going to be a guest. Mm. And I think that where there's a big name that people are familiar sure. with can make a difference because a lot of the listenership there's so there are more episodes that are just me and people are coming there to hear the way that I talk about a concept. I mm-hmm. think that those solo episodes tend to do well. And, yeah. you know, it's like, I want to learn about game theory. So I'm just going to listen to that one episode. Uh, mm-hmm. But the ones that actually do the best are the, these company analysis episodes. So yeah. I have an episode where I talk about Starbucks, the behavioral economics of Starbucks, of Costco, of Disney, of Peloton, and just saying, you know, these are what I see when I look at the brand, things that make them successful. Mm-hmm. And here are some ways that you can think about that for your own brand. And, you know, talking about with Costco, a membership model or using the way that they have returns and are using and leveraging scarcity and things mm-hmm. to think about both for don't just blindly copy just because it works mm-hmm. for Costco doesn't mean it's right for your brand. And here are some things yeah. to keep in mind if you're looking at that. So those uh, analysis episodes, I would say, are some of the most popular. Uh, okay, so we've got the website, we've got the social handles, we've got the podcast, and the book is available for pre-order. I recommend all of it. And I do that genuinely. Um, I find you really, really interesting to talk to. Also just really nice and fun to talk to. You're, um, you're approachable. You're kind of, you're a master of your craft, but you don't act like it. Um, So uh, I I think learning from you is, is a fun, enjoyable experience. Uh, I give you a lot of credit for the way you um, position yourself and, and carry yourself in the industry and, and stand out in, in a really, you know, authentic way. I think it's terrific. Well, thank you so much. It's very kind of you to say, I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. So um, thanks so much for joining us. And um, I wish you all the best with, with everything to come and especially with the book. I I hope we can drive some pre-orders for you. Thank you for that as well. I appreciate it. And thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all our episodes by searching Audible Insights on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, and by visiting insightsassociation.org slash audible. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next time.